This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Going to be joined by Cheryl Reeve, head coach and general manager of the Lynx here in just a minute. Also, we'll have Jim Paulson, who covers high school sports for the Star Tribune on the show a little bit later as well to talk about high school football and the start of that season. Uh, reminder, I'll be out at the fair on Tuesday and Wednesday um, with Kent Youngblood and Lindsey Whalen, go for women's basketball coach on Tuesday, and uh, Chris Hine and Chris Finch. Uh, Chris, of course, Chris Hine covers the Wolves for the Star Tribune, and Chris Finch is, of course, their new head coach. So watch for that if you're out there Tuesday and Wednesday. Tuesday is 2 p.m. Wednesday is 11.30 a.m., and I'm going to turn both of those into some bonus podcasts that I will post later in the week, maybe even into the long weekend. But first, what did I miss? I'll talk quickly about the Twins rotation because Bailey Ober had a really good start again in that makeup game Monday against Detroit. Twins win 3-2. Ober finishes August with an ERA under 2 for the month. Um, Twins 7-3 in his last 10 starts. Not really stretching him out pitch count wise as much. Still, still, you know, still taking him out after about 80 pitches. But he has gone six innings a couple times lately, including the other day in that win over Detroit. So, what does that tell you about the rotation? Well, they might be getting a little bit better. I was lamenting the uh, the the cast of characters they have in it right now. Our Phil Miller reporting that my wish might be coming true. Joe Ryan sure looks like the logical choice to pitch Wednesday make his Twins and Major League debut. Of course, the prospect they got in the Nelson Cruz trade was in the Olympics. Really good for St. Paul in his first couple starts there. And it sounds like Randy Dobnik is coming back and will pitch a few days from now as well. So maybe we'll get a better look down the stretch at potential candidates for that rotation next season. Not getting too excited yet, but at least we have a chance to maybe see what they've got in that rotation going forward. The Lynx, after having a full week off, uh, have three games in the next five nights starting Tuesday against the New York Liberty. And I thought it would be a great time to talk to Cheryl Reeve. I always enjoy catching up with her. So here is my conversation with Cheryl Reeve, head coach and general manager of the Lynx. Happy to be joined today on Daily Delivery by Cheryl Reeve, head coach, general manager of the Minnesota Lynx in the midst of Another successful season. I don't suppose they get old. Um, the the names change, but the uh, the results stay the same. The season started out zero and four, but there's been uh, nothing. I shouldn't say nothing but good news, but uh, a lot of good news since then. So, congrats on the season to date. How are you today? I'm good, Michael. Um, I'm happy to join you. I've, I've I've followed your podcast, and so I'm I'm, I'm happy to actually get to partake in it. So I, I appreciate you always thinking of the links. I do. And I've, uh, you know, we've been trying to connect with you at various points, but it, uh, the, the timing hasn't worked, but I want to want to do more obviously with the, the links, especially down the stretch here. So let me, let me jump into one player in particular who had a, just an, a, a brilliant game the other day, Sylvia Fowles in the midst of a brilliant season, in the midst of a brilliant career. I think she had the first 2023-3 game, I guess yep. is what we would call it in the in league history. Points, rebounds, steals, blocks. I believe she leads the links in all four of those categories as well this year. Um, points, rebounds, steals, and blocks. Not assists, she's slacking a little bit. Um, <laughs> but after after her game the other night, um, 
you know, a big win for you over Seattle. You mentioned, you know, that she maybe doesn't get the recognition she deserves. I think part of your postgame commentary, in fact, was when was the last time she did, when was the last time she got player of the week? And she still didn't get player of the week for that. Um, Is this just reinforcement of what you are talking about? Yeah, a little bit. Um, You know, they didn't help themselves in that regard. I I think it's inexcusable and and irresponsible. It's a, uh, as you said, the, you know, in, in, 25 years of, of playing in the WNBA, no players ever had that stat line. So it's historic. Um, you know, I think that uh, the players that they awarded player of the week to certainly had uh, good games and good stat lines. Um, but, but from my perspective, you know, historic performances are the ones that, you know, that that's what the player of the week award is about. So, um, you know, people that make those decisions, it's just, it's mind boggling sometimes that the way that they come up with these things and, uh, but but we certainly are, you know, tired of the disrespect and, you know, especially as it pertains to Sill, you know, this is this is one of the greatest players of all time. And you would never know it in terms of how the league treats her. And this is a great example of that. What well, is this a league trying to promote younger players? I mean, Sylvia has been around, obviously, for a long time. Players who keep doing excellent things tend to be forgotten a little bit. But it, it, maybe you can maybe you can get away from the. I don't want to make you gripe about it anymore, but just w- what makes her so special and how, how has she continued to do what she does, you know, at this stage of her career? Well, and it, and it is good to focus on that. Uh, Cause I could really unload on the reasons why I think, <laughs> you, I mean, you, know, you certainly can skin, if you want to Cheryl, that's good. Podcast <laughs> dark skin gay athlete maybe doesn't get, um, you know, the, the push that maybe the lighter skin, uh, um, you know, or, or, you know, even white uh, athletes that, you know, we tend to, uh, push in, in these situations. Uh, Sill's also not somebody that uh, gets too engrossed in social media and, and promoting herself. You know, that's so, you know, for, from, you know, those, that standpoint, I, you know, I don't know what's not to like, um, you know, about consistently uh, being great and, and buoying a franchise and, you know, having a franchise in contention, you know, um, again, after, you know, um, so, so kind of, you know, went through the, um, the dynasty years. And then, you know, now, you know, it's a team, it's a completely different team that she's put puts on her back uh, every night uh, and, and, you know, drags us back into contention. Um, there's a lot to like there. I'm really, really proud of her. I know still doesn't, um, you know, not somebody that needs uh, shine, but it's not about that, you know, whether somebody needs it or not, it's about who's deserving of it. And, um, you know, I just think that, that, you know, her play, why can she be so good? She takes care of her body. Um, she she really is committed uh, to preparing herself for every season uh, that that she comes in and wants to be great. Has become a tremendous leader. Um, and ultimately, I think what you know what we're seeing now, what shines through for me, is her love for the game. Because uh, you know it's hard. You know the way that she plays. You know she she'll be thirty six next month, and you know it's a hard physical game that sometimes it's hard to get up for. You know coming to practice and you know, the way that she plays, every possession is physical and she does hard things physically every night. Um, and so puts it on the line. And so to me, that just tells me, uh, how much she loves the game. And and so, uh, I'm really proud of her and I'm proud that she's a Minnesota Lynx. She's certainly more of a traditional post. And I think we've seen the game evolve a little bit. Everybody wants everybody to shoot three pointers now. And the Lynx have done that to a certain degree this year. I think you're kind of middle of the pack in terms of three-point percentage, three-pointers attempted, made, things like that. 
But I also couldn't help but notice that you have the league's most efficient offense in terms of effective field goal percentage without being a great three-point shooting team. And a lot of that is because you lead the league in two-point field goal percentage. Like <laughs> the twos, uh, they don't get you there as fast, but if you make a lot of them, uh, they, they, do, they do pretty well for you. Yeah. You know, so we're an interesting team and that's, that's kind of when we, when we, uh, shifted our identity, you know, our focus of where we were when we first started the season, you know, that we were not very efficient. Um, and we didn't have fee and fee somebody that we count on, uh, to assist in our, our efficiency numbers. Uh, but we now have three players that are in the top 10 in points in the paint. Um, and so we do, we live through that space, but it also, it, it should lead to greater opportunities for those that can shoot the three. And so I would say over the last five games, our numbers have really dropped from, from three point shooting in terms of attempts uh, in order for us to, to really be successful, you got to have a balance. And so we're, we're, we're pushing a little harder for, uh, you know, players to shoot when they're open uh, to give more room uh, for uh, Lasia and the FISA and, and SIL to be able to, to get the work that they can uh, get, get done in the paint. Um, but, you know, the teams that play through the paint, um, you know, that's, it's high percentage when you're able to do that. And so that's the space that we live in. That's our default, um, space, if you will. And, and, uh, you know, we, we do like efficiency. Efficiency is a good thing, especially on, uh, on offense. It's not, uh, it's not so 2021, but, uh, you know what the, when the, <laughs> but the point, the points all, all add up. If you're efficient on offense, you're efficient on offense. Doesn't mean that you're always making threes. So I guess that's exactly. A, it's a good thing to remember. And you, you mentioned, uh, Alicia, um, she's, uh, Laisha, uh, you can kind of draw a straight line from the point in the season where you were 0 and 4, and then Laisha Clarendon comes in. Is it too simple to say that their arrival was the thing? I mean, I know you were missing some players early in the season too. What what was it that that got you from 0 and 4 to where you are now? Well, I think there's no question. Laisha filled a void. Uh, that we had with the team uh, in the early part uh, of the season. Our training camp was not a very good one. Um, we were not healthy, and we, we just couldn't find our way. Nafisa wasn't here. Kayla McBride missed training camp, did show up for the first game. Fee missed three games. Um, so if you pile all that uh, together, you know, it's, it's no wonder that, that we started the way that we did. Uh, and so I think Lasia's presence uh, in terms of their ability to lead a team um, that's something that we've always valued in, in Lasia. You know, when we talked with her in free agency and she ultimately uh, chose New York, um, you know, that was something that, that we thought we could use was, was leadership abilities. And, and it just was, you know, this massive void that Lay was able to step into and, and, and kind of, you know, right the ship, so to speak. And, and then also, I think, you know, couple that with, uh, we started to do better with what our identity was going to be for this team. Uh, and that meant uh, shifting focus in the playbook, um, you know, tweaks here and there and, you know, a couple more, you know, tough nights and, and their hunger grew. Uh, and then, and then we just got going, but, but there's no question. You can't leave Lasia out of the conversation of, of, of why, you know, our, our team turned it around. When you've been at this for, you know, a decade plus, and you've won with different rosters, you've won different ways is it when you start zero and four and of course you know the reasons for it even if you're still confident in in your direction is it 
how do you kind of find that sweet spot between like what you believe in, like at your core, but also what a particular team might need that's a little different than that or how you might have coached a team in the past? Yeah, I, I think that just comes from experience, you know, along that journey of, of a decade of, of coaching teams. Um, the thing that you learn quickly is, is that each each season is a, a journey of its own and they're, it, it's each very, very different. And you can draw on experiences from the past, but for you to expect it to look the same or feel the same uh, would be setting yourself up for, for disappointment. And so recognizing the, the newness and the, the identity of this team um, and also drawing on the experiences, uh, we didn't go through a championship season without losing three or four in a row. And, and so, but it never came in the beginning of the season. And so, right. uh, again, this is the newness of it. You know, we get to experience everything. And so this particular team, uh, that's kind of how it went down for us. And, and, you know, we've been pretty darn solid uh, since then. And we hope that we can finish strong. Staying healthy is going to be a big part of that. Um, and so I think drawing on the experiences that you can apply, but also recognizing just because you ran something with a different team, um, you know, you can't expect, you know, that you can just, um, you know, make it fit on this group, letting this group become who they are and, and uh, move with them. You know, like, you know, if I want them to be good at something and we're just not, then I got to, I got to let go. I got to get, I got to move on to something else. And, um, and that's what we spent a lot of time doing our, our staff, you know, uh, you know, Katie, Planet, Rebecca and Ashley, we just, you know, brainstorm quite a bit, uh, you know, and tweak things here, tweak things there. And then we finally found a groove. You certainly have. It seems like the only, I mean, the only real roadblock since the 0-4 start was those games against Connecticut where the free throw disparity caught your attention. Um, you've never been <laughs> one to shy away from speaking your mind. Is that just, is that something that just really bothered you in that particular moment? Had you noticed a trend where your team wasn't getting rewarded for playing, you know, physically and, and, and you know, feeling like you, they were drawing more contact than was getting called. How did that, how did that moment come about? Yeah, I think probably uh, the game that we played against Vegas where we didn't shoot a single free throw in the entire game, um, you know, like you kind of go, okay, you know, you hate to be on the wrong side of history. You know, that's not how you're trying to be historic, right? So it, it had never been done before a team to have shoot no free throws and win the game. That had never been done before. Uh, and, and, oh, by the way, we're not shooting threes, and you already mentioned that. You know, yeah. we're, we're so going to play you, through the paint. How did you win that game? Did you make right, like, exactly. did you make like 80% of your twos or something? We, yeah, we, we shot a high percentage yeah, we, and the other team that we were playing, um, you know, we, they, we kept them off the line relative to their standards. Vegas is a team that also plays with the paint and also gets to the foul line. So just one of those, you know, you kind of go, was it an outlier game? You know, I'm not, not happy about it. Um, you know, we, we went back and watched the video and we certainly found, you know, we found fouls. Uh, you know, but when you're in game, you can't focus on it. Cause then, then you're, you're not focused on your job, you know, the task at hand. I don't like when players complain and, uh, certainly don't want to you know lose our focus and, and, and make excuses for, for anything. So that was kind of on our minds. And then, you know, you go to Connecticut, who's a very, very physical team, very, very good, very good team, um, really hang their hat on their defense. Um, but if one team's allowed to play one way, um, uh, whether it's a Connecticut team or a Las Vegas team or Chicago team, whoever it is, you're allowed to play one way, but then the very next night you're playing somebody else, you know, something else is a foul or not a foul. And that was our biggest concern was, you know, one team's allowed to impede and hand check and, and do those things. And that keeps you from being able to, 
be free flowing in your offense or get where you want to go. You know, we think it should be officiated that way. So Connecticut has figured something out, uh, you know, to be able to play so aggressively and physically uh, and do it without fouling is really impressive. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was just a matter of, okay, if you don't think that we're getting fouled, um, I, I don't think that we fouled them to the tune of 25 free throws. And so there's a level of consistency that you're after. Uh, we get called for a hand check, but not a single hand check at the other end. Both teams are defending the hell out of the paint. One team gets called for a defense of three seconds. The other one does not. Um, and so that's all you're seeking is, is consistency. And, um, you know, sometimes when you, when you show up and you see a certain officiating crew, you know what to expect um, in terms of whether nothing's going to get called or everything's going to get called. Um, and I just think that's difficult for, for players, you know, each night to kind of go, okay, you know, what is it going to be? You know, one night, this is a foul one night, this is not. Uh, and so I know the officials are working hard to get it right. And, you know, that's their jobs. And, um, but, you know, we certainly aren't going to shy away from talking about what some of the challenges are. And, and you know, then people talked about the Chicago game, which was our next game. And we shot 33 free throws that somehow it was because we complained. Uh, I can assure you, one, we didn't make a single phone call to anyone. Uh, two, I don't think the league, give, league gives two hoots about anything that the Minnesota Lynx might say. Uh, they don't pay attention when we make historic performances and player of the week candidates. But um, And so the, it was a coincidence that uh, Chicago actually fouls a lot. Uh, so there are there is data behind what we're talking about when when Minnesota and Connecticut are together at their free throw rate. And then there is separation on who fouls more than the other team. Connecticut fouls more than Minnesota Lynx going into that game. Um, so, I mean, the data is behind what we're saying. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes the rest of the way. You've never been shy about being um, outspoken, critical in those regards. Is the league, you said the league doesn't care. Do they ever come and tap you on the shoulder and say, Cheryl, you can't say that? Or is that just, does that not happen? No, I mean, there, there's a, you know, there's a system in place. Um, you know, as you know, if we get, you know, out of hand in a game, we get a technical foul, right. you know, you, you hear from the league in that way. And, you know, the nice letter that you get, you know, the amount of your fine. Um, but, you know, I don't think that I, I actually am impressed with our players um, that, you know, that we, we've actually handled those moments really well. Um, you know, that we, we can make a point in, and, and, you know, it's like we've done everything. We try to be thoughtful and we try to consider all the sides and what's happening. But at the same time, you know, you have to stand up for yourselves at some point. And, and so we thought it was important to do that. Last thing for Cheryl Reeve, really enjoying this conversation. And thank you again for your time in the midst of a busy season back at it. Tuesday night uh, should be a busy, big week for you. Um, I know that in the bubble last year and even way you know, preceding that for many years before that social justice issues have been a big centerpiece of this franchise. I feel like our country has maybe pushed those down a little bit in the last year, but I want to know where the links are at and what you are, where your headspace is in terms of, you know, the causes and the you know momentum that was going for, you know, for last year and even before that. Yeah, I think it's here to stay, you know, whereas I think when we started in 2016, we were kind of at the forefront uh, of what's become the norm today, um, whether it's phrases like Black Lives Matter uh, that we took so much heat over in, in 2016, uh, where the police officers uh, on duty for our game walked out because we have Black Lives Matter on the shirt. Um, so things have changed drastically uh, for, for the better in terms of 
um, the things that we're willing to talk about uh, and, and put energy into um, certainly have a long way to go. And I'm, I'm proud of, you know, the, the players association is far more involved and it's not just going to come from one team. Uh, this is now league wide and, 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 the, you know, a social justice council um, that is constantly meeting and, and putting ideas together. And uh, well, actually one of the initiatives we're going to be celebrating tomorrow night, uh, breast health awareness, uh, where we are going to focus on uh, the BIPOC uh, communities uh, that are that are underserved as it pertains to healthcare, and uh, to be able to, to to put forth financial resources to be able to assist in the education uh, part of it, and obviously the the treatment part of it, and and uh, help out where we can. So we're always going to be hard at work and be aware uh, of, of what's happening, and um, and I, I couldn't be more proud of of the way that that our players, not only with the links, but the WNBA uses our voices. Great stuff, Cheryl. Appreciate it. Good luck the rest of this season. You are among the four, five, six teams, I think, that has a real uh, a real shot to bring home hardware this year. There's kind of a glut at the top, I think, but uh, certainly in that mix. So congrats on that and good luck the rest of the way, okay? Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on, Michael. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Happy to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Jim Paulson. Does a great job covering high school sports at the Star Tribune. I've known Jim for a very long time. We used to cover high school sports together. Um, Jim still does a great job of it. You have a story in Tuesday's paper and on startribune.com, Jim, kind of explaining a little bit of what's going on with, you know, classification and some of these things get into the weeds, but this is really a competitive balance issue. And that's what kind of caught my attention as we think about high school football and the kind of the start of the meat of the schedule this week. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, as you who covered high school football can understand, there's no sport that where numbers mean a bigger deal than in high school football. That's why we have seven classes of high school football. Um, there are some people that think it's all about giving everybody a trophy, but it's not. It's about competitive balance. And just dropping down a class or going up a class can mean the world to a program, whether it's going to be successful or whether it's not. How you can be able to continue to build a program or you're not. And that's kind of the issue this year. You've got teams in the largest class, class 6A, 32 teams, that have divided itself into districts that are kind of one district is called a gold district is kind of a halves largely living uh, in, in the state, in the prep bowl, 80% of the prep bowl entrants over the past few years have come from that gold district. And then the other teams, 14 teams in the Maroon district, which has seven teams that have never even made the state tournament. They're, they divided it that way to try to you know, get a little bit more competitive balance and, and scheduling equity um, within the uh, classes so that uh, teams that have, are trying to you know, improve their lot, get a preponderance of their games against teams like themselves. And teams in the bigger classes or the, the more successful teams play many teams that are just like themselves that have had a lot of success. Um, I think that was the intended goal. Uh, we'll see if it actually works out. Does this carry over once you get to the to playoff time too? Does this like carry, you know, do you get a certain number of teams from each of the maroon and gold that, that you know, play their way into into the you know the quarterfinals semifinals etc well not the way i understand it the way i understand it's just simply for regular season scheduling and once you get there the playoffs 
you will be you know, every man for himself kind of a thing. I think one of the reasons this came about is that teams that were playing a really brutal schedule found themselves with mediocre records and teams that weren't had, had better records than they might actually be. So there was some section seating questions about whether a team was seated where it should be, whether a team that has played a really tough schedule uh, and the record shows it uh, is a better team and deserves a better lot. I think that's part of the uh, impetus behind this. But again, we'll, we'll see how this works out. I'm I'm skeptical that it's going to be exactly what they want because not every coach is on board with it. But, um, you know, we're going to try it for a couple of years and see what goes. Who are the more, I was probably not an issue where there's really loud opponents or proponents, but who who, who did you talk to that was, you know, maybe skeptical of, of the way this was going to go? Well, a lot of the, the bigger school coaches that have been successful, the Jeff Erdmans at Rosemount and the Brian Vossens at Lakeville North, they're, they're not all that uh, uh, fond of it. And as, as well, they should be because there shouldn't be, I guess, because they're going to get uh, tough opponents every single week. Now, those programs have established themselves and they probably deserve tough competition. But, you know, I mean, Erdman had mentioned, said, when was the last time you see a team kind of penalized for being too good? Um, and so that's that's kind of where they're looking at it. I do know that some of the coaches for the teams that are still trying to take that next step, they're still trying to build their programs, uh, aren't quite as uh, uh, upset with this uh, districting because it will give them a chance to play a more equitable schedule and maybe build up their program a little bit. At least that's the hope. And this is a departure from what I can remember, at least, where everything used to be so based on geography and not any kind of competitive balance stuff. Yeah, that's exactly kind of the way it was until we went to district scheduling a few years back. You know, back in the day, you know, it was all about conferences and conferences could run the gamut from 4A up to 6A sort of thing. Um, and, and so there were teams that would never break free of uh, you know, their losing ways. Uh, district scheduling has made it easier for a lot of teams to actually take that next step and, and build their programs through success. And believe it or not, success makes a difference. Kids come out, they want to play for a good team. Um, so, but it's not all about wins and losses. It's about consistency. And, uh, and uh, this is kind of a, a, a new step forward. And, um, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting step. I don't think anyone's ever taken a step like this. We'll see what happens. A couple more things for you, Jim. Um, you talked about kind of reclassification and what a big deal that is, you know, moving up a class, moving down a class. Um, had, a, had a famous kind of uh, not run in, but a, a good discussion with uh, Jeff Ferguson a long time ago about trying to urge him to move up in class at Tatino Grace, and they obviously did and found some success there. Uh, love Fergie, great, uh, great guy. But as you think about this, like what are some of the bigger moves up or moves down that, that you've seen this year? Well, there's three that really uh, stand out to me. Um, Creighton Durham Hall, which is a storied program with some talented players that they've turned out, Heisman Trophy winners and, and um, the state tournament champions in the state's largest class. They dropped down to class uh, 5A because their enrollment is as low as it's ever been, according to athletic director Phil Archer. He was a linebacker there and played at Creighton in the 90s when they were in their peak. But they haven't had a whole lot of success in recent years. And uh, the, the drop in enrollment, he thought it was best for the kids to play at a class that was more equitable to where their enrollment is. So they're dropping out of 6A and going to 5A. Um, and let's be honest with you, 5A is no slouch. There's some pretty good teams in class 5A. You know, you look at a St. Thomas Academy, and that is a program that could very, very easily compete in class 6A and be successful. So, but Phil Archer and Creighton things that that move down, which 
sounds like it might be temporary, just at least until the program gets back on its feet or back where they want it to be. Um, they're going to be playing a 5A schedule. Two 5A teams, Park of Cottage Grove and uh, Coon Rapids, who have built solid programs by dropping out of Class 6A and into 5A, are now moved back up to Class 6A. And people there are a little concerned about how it's going to affect their program. I know Coon Rapids, they had gone 0-27 for three straight years before they moved on to Class uh, 5A. And since that time, they've won 17 games and uh, made a state uh, tournament semifinals. Uh, but they're getting moved back this year, and their coach, Nick Rusin, says now, they'll compete. They'll do everything they have to do. They're not going to whine and complain. But he does see it being a possibly problematic in terms of um, keeping the program, on the momentum the program needs going forward. Like he said, we want to get the tweeners out, you know, the kids who aren't, aren't so sure about going out. And when you're not winning, you're not having success. It doesn't always appeal to those kids. So uh, we're going to see if uh, Coon Rapids and Park can handle this, move up to Class 6A, and be competitive. They're not looking to win. A lot of games, they just want to be competitive, and that's all they can ask. Now, the move up can be either you can opt up or your enrollment jumps to a certain point or you pass other schools, and that, that, that's, that's the result of, of that. Remind me, is it a two-year cycle or a four-year cycle for, the, for that? It's two, it's two years. And right now, with Creighton dropping down from 6A to 5A, there's only one school that is moving up to Class 6A, and that is Totino Grace. And they, we've talked about that plenty of times that, that's a school that's also in a class 4A classification. Matter of fact, I think their enrollment is even less than Green Durham Hall, but they've never shied away from playing a class 6A schedule. And they've been commended for that. Now, to be honest, since Jeff Ferguson retired a few years ago, and even before that, they haven't had quite the number of the success they had 15 years ago. But you know, it looks like they're coming back and they're they're don't look like they have any uh plans to drop down at all. So that's the one school that's moving up and then making it work. Jim Paulson, enjoying this conversation. Last thing for you, kind of bigger picture as we get ready for, you know, more meaningful slates of games. What are you watching for this week and even in the bigger picture of the season? Well, you know, this will be the year after a COVID year when we get things decided. You know, last year there was no state tournament. There was no way for anybody to determine who was the best. Um, we had three teams, three very good class 6A teams finish undefeated at the uh, end of the season. And they all had a claim for who could be the best, Lakeville South, Eden Prairie, and Rosemount. Uh, we get to decide that this year Lakeville South does play Eden Prairie and Rosemount plays Eden Prairie. So we'll get to decide, you know, that on the field. Um, it'll be nice to have a, a state championship, actually a tournament to decide who's the best. Andover was another team in Class 5A. They had the best team in school history. They didn't get to show it. So that's what I'm looking for, is that teams are actually going to decide something on the field and determine who was the champion. Great stuff, Jim Paulson. Go follow his work, Star Tribune, startribune.com. Jim will catch up later in the season, all right? Thanks for having me, Mike. Talk to you soon. Sounds good. Enjoyed catching up with Jim Paulson. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as well. And thanks, too, to Cheryl Reeve. Really enjoyed talking to her and the insights she brings. Always honest, always direct, and I really appreciate that about Cheryl Reeve. Let's finish with the cooler today, Vikings. Injury news is a little up, little down. Sounds like Irv Smith Jr., no timetable for return. Going to have surgery for that meniscus. Don't know exactly where it is, but if it is the meniscus trim, it'd probably be about a month. So you can kind of you know imagine how that plays out. Maybe you know miss three, four games and get back in there. That wouldn't be the end of the world, although it would probably alter their offense at the start of the year. Mike Zimmer had a little bit more optimism about Anthony Barr and his ability to play in the opener. We will see if that happens. The linebacker dealing with an undisclosed 
injury Vikings roster projection in the in the Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. Ben Gessling did a great job with that. We'll see what the final numbers are when they come out. They have to get that roster trimmed down to 53, at least initially, by today. So that should be a fun one to watch for. Thanks for joining me here on Daily Delivery today. I am Michael Rand. Back at it on Wednesday, a college football preview of sorts. Randy Johnson from the Star Tribune covers the Gophers. Help us set up that Thursday night game against Ohio State. And Jenny Taft from Fox Sports will also join the show. Edina Native does a great job over for Fox Sports now. So looking forward to talking with her. She will be working that Ohio State Gophers game as well. Thanks for joining me here today. We'll catch you again on Wednesday.